So we are in a series um, that is going to last five weeks, and it's called Monsters, or as my four-year-old daughter calls them, Monstuous. And the whole purpose of this series is to kind of deal with some things that we don't think a whole lot about. Um, Growing up, you're not really taught how to protect and guard your heart, but it's something that is so vital and so important as you follow Jesus, that your heart is protected, that your heart is guarded, because as the Proverbs writer says, that everything you do, um, it flows from your heart. Or Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11, he says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And the heart is so important. But if you remember back to being a parent with young children, one of the the most important things you do is you serve as this protector, and you give such confidence to your kids and to your children, and they'll say, hey, Dad, there's, there's a monster in my room, and what does every parent do? They, they say, hey, stop being a chicken. No, they, they go into their room with their kid, and they turn on the light, and they say, look, there's nothing in here that you need to be afraid of. This is your room. And so this series dealing with monsters is simply about us learning how to flip on the light and to look around our lives and to see what is in our life, what's deep, deep down inside our heart and our soul that's continually coming out that we have to learn how to deal with. And so um, the good news is this morning out of the four monsters we're going to deal with in the series, this one is the easiest. Uh, And so for for most of you, you're not going to struggle with this one. It's not that big of a deal. Unless um, you have kids. And if you have kids, this this might be a little bit of an issue. Or, Or I guess, or if you are a boss or an employee and you have to interact and get along with other people, then, then it might be a little more difficult. Or if you own a car and drive around town, then this might be a little bit more difficult. Or if you actually have to go out into this world and deal with other people who don't think like you do all the time. Or if you have strong political opinions. But, but for everyone else, this is a pretty anemic topic that you really probably won't have to deal much with. And so um, I picked this one to go second because, like I said, it's the easiest. So we're going to start in Genesis, kind of going back to the beginning. And and we're going to be in chapter 4. This is right during the beginning of the story after Adam and Eve have been removed from the garden. And they find themselves on the outside looking in, longing for things to be as they once were. And so Adam and Eve, they have two children. One is named Cain and the other one is named Abel. And so I'm going to pick up in the middle of chapter 2. Now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flocks. 
And the Lord looked with favor, favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And you read the story, and the, the question that comes, well, how did, how did Cain and Abel, how did they know how God saw or perceived their offering? And, and I would think going back to the beginning, it's probably simply because they can look out and they see how the next year went. Was this an abundant crop? Well, well no, then, then God probably didn't look at this with favor. And this thinking and this mindset that if we give something to God that he's going to do something was so important during the early part of creation, in the beginning. And this is why Leviticus, and I know we don't like to jump into Leviticus, but Leviticus is so, so important. And in fact, that's probably an entire another series. We should probably do that next year is Leviticus. 2019 Leviticus, right? Y'all want to? I might do that. I might rework some stuff. Um, I know y'all are dying to hear that, like the rest of the sacrifices in Leviticus. Crickets, yeah, yeah. Um, so where were we? Um, Cain and Abel, yeah. So um, anyway, they, they perceive, Cain perceives that God is not as pleased with his offering as Abel's. And you know the story, they go for this walk out in the wilderness, and Cain kills his brother. He allows his anger to overcome him, and he kills his brother. Why does he kill his brother? Well, he's angry. And at the very core of that anger is this really simple problem that goes back to the very beginning for every single one of us when we're two and three and four. We didn't get what we wanted. That is where anger comes from. Plain and simple, we did not get what we wanted. And so anger in this debt-to-debtor relationship says, you owe me. God, I offered this sacrifice to you, and you were not pleased with it, and I did not have a good year, I did not have good crops, I did not have your blessing, I did this for you. And you did not respond in the way that I thought you should. I did not get what I wanted. And now you owe me. And whether it is Cain being mad at Abel or Cain even being mad at God, at the very core, he did not get what he wanted. He was hurt by it. And and most of us can look back to points in our life where we were hurt and where we did not get what we wanted. And because of this, this anger begins to form inside of us. We said, I do, and she didn't follow through. And I didn't get the marriage that I wanted. 
we said that we were going to be friends to the end, and, and they turned their back on me. And I, I was a good friend, and they weren't. And at the very center of this, you owe me, is hurt. And what you find in life is that hurt people hurt people. People who have been hurt and wounded by other people carry that around with them and they hurt other people. When I was in high school, I saw a story on the news. I grew up in the Metroplex and there was a story um, back in the late 90s on um, one of the TV stations. And this man was walking his dog. It was a Great Dane on this leash through Grapevine, Texas, downtown. And he has to run into this building. And so he takes the dog on the leash and he ties it up to this street side park bench. And he runs into the store. And while he's inside, something happens in the street that spooks the dog. I don't know if it was a car that backfired or a horn or a wreck or some type of noise. And all of a sudden, this massive Great Dane jets into the street with the leash attached to this bench, and the bench comes with him. And I don't know if it was bolted into the ground or what, but it pulls the bench into the street, and this dog is running through the streets of Grapevine, Texas, dragging this bench, and it's bouncing around behind him, hitting these cars until it finally slams into the front end of this massive SUV, completely wrecking it. And you think, well, okay, well, what does this have to do with anger? I think it's the perfect picture of unresolved anger. It is what you carry around with you, and if you don't deal with it, it will wreak havoc on the people you care about the most. It follows you around. Samuel Pizer is a Holocaust survivor, and he says this, We may not live in the past, but the past lives in us. And I'm sure most of you have seen that in your life and the lives of other people. And the problem with this unresolved anger, that past that lives in us, most of the time it does not come out in anger on the people who actually hurt us. It comes out when we're at home and our safety's off and we realize that we don't have to be looking right for everyone else. And the people that it hurts the most are the people we care the most about. It's that park bench that's drug along behind us, smashing into everyone else's life. And one of the most important questions that you have to answer, and this is not just a one-time thing, it's an every single day thing, is you will, will you allow that past to constantly stay with you Will you allow that past to wreak havoc on your relationships? Will you allow that past to sabotage your marriage or your children? Because at the very core is this belief that they owe me something. They owe me my childhood. My dad was not there and everything fell apart and he owes me my childhood. 
that that teacher was not fair and they didn't do what they said they would do and they owe me a better grade. My boss passed me over for the promotion and someone else got it who didn't work as hard as I did and they owe me a raise. They owe me a promotion. They said I do and they did not. They owe me my marriage. They were driving drunk, and if they hadn't been driving drunk, they would still be here. And they owe me a child. See, here's the deal. These deep-seated hurts don't go away easily. We, we would like to think, you know, just forgive and forget, and it's not going to be there, and it's but it is. It follows you around. And there is so much truth in Pizer's statement that you don't live in the past, but I can promise you this, the past lives in you and you have to deal with it. Paul is talking to a church in Ephesus and he's encouraging them in how they are to move past this anger and why it's so important that they get beyond it. And he says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Like God had such an incredible care for how Israel and how his people related to the people that were around them. That his concern, and if you've been in the classes on Sunday morning that are going through the minor prophets, so much of what God is angry about is Israel's relationship to their neighbors. The way that they're interacting with the world. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. And it's interesting that he talks about in your anger, you're going to get angry. It is an emotion. You cannot stop it from happening. It's going to be there. But in your anger, do not sin. And then he goes on to say, do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Like how different would our world be if we just simply practice that? I mean, what if, what if Washington just said, you know what, we're not going to go to sleep until we're not angry at one another. I don't, can you die of sleep deprivation? <laughs> what would happen in our marriages, in our friendships, if we didn't let unresolved anger linger? And then he says that what happens when we do that is it gives Satan a foothold. It allows him to, gra to grab and claim space in your life. And what it does is it begins to attack your heart. And it begins to make us fearful of being vulnerable. Because we get hardened to the relationships. And we know that we don't let anyone in. Because when we become vulnerable, we become hurt. 
When we put ourselves out there, other people have the ability to hurt us. And so vulnerability scares us. But here's the deal. You can keep yourself from being vulnerable and protect yourself. But just as vulnerability keeps out pain, vulnerability also allows in love. And you cannot have one without the other. And so it's something that you have to deal with. You have to deal with this this deep-rooted pain. And so he goes on to talk about how they no, no longer should steal and do something useful with their hands. Skipping down to verse 29, he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Through your relationship with other people. That's what this entire section is about. How you relate, how you interact with one another. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he says this. Here's the part we need to get to with our anger to get to forgiveness. Get rid of it. Right? I mean, it's pretty simple. Just get rid of it. You know that person who hurt you in the past and talked about you behind your back? Just get, get rid of it. Forget it. Or, or that marriage that went wrong? Just, just get rid of it. Forget about it. That child that you poured your life into and they just went off and did their own thing? Just, just forget about it. It's no big deal. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just simply get rid of it. He, he gives us a list of things that we are to be getting rid of. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Brawling and slander along with every form of malice. So it's not just get rid of it. Here's what we get rid of. But then we're going to put something else back in in its place. Get rid of the anger. Get rid of the rage. Get rid of the bitterness. And instead of being those things, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, so he clarifies, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So get rid of the anger, get rid of the rage, and instead be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Like, in Christ frames our response to anger. How are you supposed to live? Just as Christ. And forgive as God in Christ forgave you. But here's the thing. Most of us have heard that our entire life. And my guess is there's never been a point when that became easy. That it is a daily exercise 
of giving up our self and our wants and our desire to see people paid back for what they did to us, especially with some of those really deep-seated hurts. The payback is the way of the world under the sway of Satan. But the way of Jesus is the way of forgiveness. And so I'm just kind of spend a few minutes right here at the end getting really, really practical. How do we deal with those deep-seated hurts and move beyond our anger, not allowing them to linger, not allowing them to take root in our heart and move beyond to find forgiveness. So here are are a couple things you can do. First of all, who hurts you? Who is it? Big or small, who hurts you? And write it down. Most of the time, we, we just think, well, this... This is not real important, and it's not that big of a deal, and it's not really still in there. But my guess is if we were to walk into your house and just turn on a video camera, we would see the results of that deep-rooted hurt. We would see the results of it in the people that you care about the most, people that you love and are compassionate to, But when we're there, we feel safe. And we say things like, oh, they're they're just an angry person. They didn't just get that way accidentally. You didn't develop your anger by accident. It's something that was formed in you. So who hurt you? Write it down. Second, answer this question. What do they owe you? What do they owe you? And write it down. My dad wasn't there. And he owes me my childhood. He passed me up for the promotion. And he owes me a raise. The marriage fell apart, and he owes me a happy life. My kids chose to do their own thing. They owe me. See, here's the deal. No matter what, they cannot pay you back. No matter what, they can't go back and undo what has been done. And us not coming to that realization means that it lingers. And they owe me so much, but here's the deal. They cannot pay you back. They they can't do anything to make things right the way you think they should be right. When you write it down, 
what it does is it begins to shed light on it. That it's still there and it's still something that we have to deal with. Imagine having a conversation with that person. What would you say they owe you? And then third, if you want to get to forgiveness, and this is where it gets really difficult, we cancel the debt. Forgiveness is not just an exercise. It releases a legitimate debt. It does not settle the question of blame. It does not settle the question of fairness. It does not say it's okay. It does not say it does not matter. It just simply says, you do not owe me any more. I am canceling the debt. And for some of you, you're going to have to get really practical with it. Take out that piece of paper and cross through it. Burn it. Maybe you need to invite your small group over and hold hands around a circle and sing Kumbaya and shred it into pieces. But some way, somehow, we cancel the debt. And what we're saying in that is you no longer owe me. I understand you cannot make things right the way that I think they should be made right. But I'm no longer going to hold this against you. Some of you might need to read this to somebody. Some of you might need to go to a grave and read it to someone. And what you're doing when you do this is you're saying that this can never be right the way that I think it should be right. But I am canceling it. See, some of you have been burdened by anger and the hurt of the past for so long that you've become comfortable with it. That it's just who you are. But here's what I believe. Jesus does not want to leave you where you are. He is wanting to transform you. He is wanting to change you. And it happens from the inside out. And it is not easy. Forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness cost God his son. It cost Jesus his life. And it is going to cost you. It's going to cost you your right to revenge. It's going to cost you the right to get even. It's going to cost you the right to see them hurt like you think they hurt you. Forgiveness is not easy. Some of you might have heard of Dr. Mengele. He was known as the angel of death in Auschwitz, the camp surgeon. And there was a movie that was made back in 1995. You can still go find it on Vimeo and other channels like that. And it's entitled Forgiving Dr. Mengele. And I want you just to watch just a, a short clip, the intro to this movie. 
On the 40th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, a handful of survivors of this monument to Nazi evil return. Eva Kor, with her twin sister Miriam, found a record of their past. Eva and Miriam were nine years old and in the front row when the Soviet soldiers liberated this death factory years ago. And they found among a few thousand survivors a large group of twins. Twins who underwent inhuman medical experiments at the hands of Dr. Joseph Meng, the camp surgeon at Auschwitz, who was known as the Angel of Death. Just to be free from the Nazis, that did not remove the pain they have inflicted upon me. There might be an other way that survivors can heal themselves. I have found one way. Forgive your worst enemy. It will heal your soul and it will set you free. I, Eva Moses Kaur, a twin who survived as a child Joseph Mengele's experiments at Auschwitz 50 years ago, hereby give amnesty to all Nazis who participated directly or indirectly in the murder of my family and millions of others. It's improper. It's improper. I should be permitted. I should be asked. How can you speak in the name of the people who are not alive anymore? I mean, it's... it's, it's it, it, I shiver when I, when I think of it. I don't know how you get to that point. But I can tell you is what everyone else is going to tell you is that's not right. You shouldn't do that. They don't deserve it. But I can tell you this. You are never more like Jesus than when you look into the face of those who have hurt you, those who have wronged you, those who have sinned against you. And you say, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Father, I do not count their sins against them. Jesus forgives the sins of a paralyzed man. And all of the Pharisees begin to question him. How can anyone forgive sins but God alone? And I think Jesus looks at the face of every single person in that room and says, that's what you were called to do. It is my followers, it is my church, you are called to be people of forgiveness. You are to forgive when people hurt you, when people abuse you, and it is not easy. It is never easy. We gather today as a forgiving community of forgiven sinners. And we forgive just as in Christ God forgave us.
Father, um, I know today this is a difficult, difficult topic. And for a lot of people, there is deep-seated hurt from their past. There are things that this brings to mind, faces that come into their, their mind, debts that are owed. And Father, it, it hurts. But Father, ultimately what's hurt the most is our heart. Is it's shattered? Is it's broken? Is it's hardened? And Father, we simply pray this morning in Jesus' name that you enter into our lives, confront the stuff that does not need to be there, the, the deeply held anger, the hurt, the pain. And Father, bring healing. Father, bring your power of resurrection into our life. Father, raise us from the dead. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My body longs for you. My soul thirsts for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. Father, that's simply what we ask today. Father, in these watches of the night, in the dark places, bring the hope of resurrection in the morning. Father, heal our brokenness. We bring to you, Father, hoping and longing for healing. We pray this in the most precious, the most powerful name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. Amen.